What are we going to do when the apple juice runs out? That's such a ritual now. <laughs> I need it. Or else I can't start. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. This week we're discussing chapter 21 of Royal Assassin, Dark Days. And we begin here with a introduction of what the Mountain Kingdom was up to, specifically King Aeod. And the ruling structure that we already knew about. Mm -hmm. But specifically what would happen when he passes away and then rule would come to Ketrikan and... The Mountain Kingdom would kind of be absorbed into a seventh duchy. Uh-huh. And that's why Ketrikan is much more worried about possible civil war. Because then the inner duchies would stand between her on the coast and the Mountain Kingdom. She has to worry about her people in the Mountain Kingdom and her people in the coastline. As well as, you know, the inner two duchies. Right. And so we get into this story with... Duke Brondi and his two of his daughters at Buckkeep, and they kind of got almost dismissed at dinner with Regal. Last chapter, yeah. Last chapter, yes. And a storm has set upon the castle, so there's not really much going on, and pretty much every day Fitz sees Duke Brondi and his two daughters just hanging out in the Great Hall, waiting for the king to get better to see them. Right. And it's made note that... It's more of an affront and rudeness to Duke Brondi the longer he has to wait. Right. Because yeah. that means that the king is trivializing his issues. Trivializing? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like basically belittling him and making it seem like, oh, it's not a big issue. It can wait because there's more important things I can I have to take care of. Yes. But when in fact we know he probably isn't feeling well. The king, that is. And so, one of these days, Fitz was hanging out in the Great Hall, and he sees Ketrikan sweeping in with a relatively simple dress and some, uh, well, pursued only by Rosemary and two of her ladies, Hope and Modest. This is actually the first day of waiting. Oh, is it the first day? Yes. Oh. He has been checked in on four times by Fitz now, but it is all on the first day. He does wait a week. To see the king, but he is talked to by Ketrick in the I first day. Up. It's all said within the first, like, chapter and a half. <laughs> <laughs> On the first day, she comes in and, and asks him to join her for a meal. Sat down in a little gathering, and he re- reluctantly agrees, but is pleased that she came down herself, shook his hand, you know, greeted him. There's actual some contact from the royal family instead of just him left hanging. Right. And so he agrees, and uh, Ketrikan sweeps together this great meal. Obviously, she had it all planned out already, and selected a few people from around the Great Hall, including very interesting people who are interesting in their own rights and can have stories to tell, are musicians, or are of a like age to his daughters, or are good listeners. (laughs) 
There's also a lot of talk about the etiquette in this portion, um, specifically calling out to Ketrikin physically shaking the Duke's hand, which Fitz remarks that she probably doesn't realize how big of an honor that is for him. Right. And she says, I personally went to see the king twice already this morning and he was ill both times. So just so you know, you know, kind of smoothing over the tensions of I'm the queen in waiting and I couldn't even get in to see him. It is not you. If you don't see him today, he is not well. And then also when he she seats the duke she seats him at her right hand which again fitz mentions as something that ketrickin probably doesn't realize is a big deal which i feel like she might i think the whole time she knows everything she's doing is a big deal there's a lot of talk from fitz a lot around ketrickin of she probably has no idea because she's a foreigner and this is just such a crazy good thing it's crazy luck that she happens to be doing everything that'll make him feel better and it's like Fitz she's lived here for over a year I think she understands the custom of the people (laughs) and she has also been living in the heat of being a royal at the castle for a year so yes she probably does know what she's doing Fitz it's not that wild other people can also manipulate people by doing small things yeah I feel like some of what she's doing would just be her right, I'm not nature and what she would do naturally, but I, I do think she is aware that she's trying to smooth over things and mm-hmm. doing everything that she knows how to make him feel honored. Right. I don't think she's doing it in a way that Regal would go about it in with deceit in mind, but it's still a sort of manipulation it that is, comes yeah. from her being a good person, but still... It's a little, you know, it, but it is frustrating to read Fitz over and over. She probably has no idea. This is great. <laughs> like, Fitz, come on. <laughs> Just because she's not you doesn't mean she doesn't have a brain. <laughs> I don't know. So that was a little frustrating to read this chapter of Fitz constantly downplaying what she's doing almost in a way by saying that she probably doesn't realize what she's doing. And especially by the end of the chapter where we see the big moves she makes to make the duke feel better i feel as though it's just not great to have him constantly be thinking that she's this poor young foreigner who has no idea what's going on and he has like so little faith in her ability to catch on i guess i don't know i wonder how much that is verity bleeding into his thoughts because that's that scene at the end that you mentioned verity is heavily influencing how fitz is reacting to it true yeah so i'm kind of just curious like i wonder if his we've talked about this before Mm -hmm. different thoughts and Mm -hmm. and his feelings towards things bleed in and kind of blend with what fitz is thinking and and feeling i'm wondering if that's happening here too with his general thoughts towards ketrikin that could be definitely uh that would make me feel a little bit better just because she's a very capable woman and she has been this whole time and fitz has noted that as well yeah yeah so it's like really frustrating this far in to have fitz be like whoa it's so wild <laughs> and so they sit down to this dinner and again queen ketrickin has selected people very carefully to provide entertainment and and also the most important part to have them listen to Duke Brondi when she asks, what has happened? We haven't heard the full tale. Brondi, of course, is a little bit 
reluctant to say it because he hasn't even spoken to the king yet. However, he does spell out the whole tale and Ketrikin expresses her grief and that for herself, she won't let the people of fairy go hungry. And but she doesn't just call them the people of fairy. She calls them my, my people. people. Yes. And it's very specifically said twice that these are her. She views mm-hmm. them as her people still. I just want to make sure that gets pointed out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, she specifically says, I will say that my heart is full of grief for my people and anger. I promise you that for myself, these wrongs shall not go unredressed, nor shall my folk be left shelterless in winter's bite. Duke Brandy is... He's not fully charmed by her and is just going to cast aside all of his anger and his questions because she is putting on a front to make him feel welcome Mm -hmm. and feel that he is heard. And Fitz goes into that a couple times, just saying like, oh, he's, you know, he's definitely like smooth as feathers with this play that Ketrikin did, but he's not easily charmed because he's from the wild north. (laughs) But with that being said, Ketrikin says, you know, I, I will take care of my folk and Duke Brandy kind of retaliates and says, yeah, those are just words, though. Like, you have to, you have those have to be backed up, yeah. and I have to hear them from the king, basically. Yeah. Well, you can't eat words, so yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit important to have more authority. And she says she can't do anything until the king has officially heard right. him. Yeah, exactly. And that is a big ca- uh, caveat in this whole thing, is she is just a queen in waiting, and so she cannot act until the king has acted Mm -hmm. and he brings up the big questions that fitz and uh, fitz and chade and ketrikin went through as well like where were the signals where were the the ship that was supposed to be posted out there all of those things and ketrikin again has to say that she doesn't know those answers and is shamed by that and Fitz's alarms bells are kind of going off and like oh maybe she shouldn't be saying all of this because you know it it's not politically good to give away that advantage or that your systems aren't working. (laughs) And also you're at a table with a bunch of other people. (laughs) Right. Well, she specifically says no word of your situation reached my ears until your young messenger arrived on horseback. So she's letting him know that it's all out on the open. I was not personally made aware, but Mm -hmm. she's also smart because she's not, blaming it on weak defenses she's not pointing out that nothing worked she's just saying if it worked i was not brought into the loop and i cannot answer this question for you and so that brings up his quest his next question of aren't you the queen in waiting and it's obviously taken as an insult which it should be and it's a challenge because Ketrikin obviously, you know, is the queen waiting. She should be looped in on all of this. And it's just, it's, it's basically implying like you are part of the Royal family and the next in line. If you knew, and you just, you're telling me right now that you're not like, you're lying to me and that's terrible. Or like, aren't you the queen in waiting? Why wouldn't you know about these things? And either way, it's, it's, an implication that Ketrikin has to face down, which she does. Right. Basically straight up asking him, are you implying that I'm lying to you? <laughs> yeah. And he 
is kind of ashamed, it seems, because he turns aside and says, no, that's not at all what I was thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, which begs the question of, is this him backtracking because he's decided he trusts her or is this him trying to make a statement of you should have been and I'm outraged for you? It just didn't go very well. I'm just not sure. I think it's just a, a, back, a political yeah. backing out of just just like the the horse guy from Tilt right. Lance. <laughs> if you were to say something like that, that would be treason, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And Duke Bronny's like, no, I would never think of something like that ever. So the the meal kind of picks up a little bit more after that. They get over the awkward silence. Mellow the the bard, the minstrel is there, and he picks up the music, and they go forward, and Fitz then is reflecting on the sisters. Faith, who is the second oldest, and then Celerity, who is the youngest, are both there, and she is seeking out his eyes, Celerity is, mm-hmm. and they lock eyes a couple times, and Fitz perceives hurt in her eyes as well. Her dark blue eyes did meet mine, and they were like wounds. I experienced a strange variety of emotions from that gaze. I was relieved that she did not seek me out as an individual to pay attention to. At the same time, I knew her coolness to me was a reflection of her father's present feelings toward all of Buckkeep. I welcomed her slighting of me. At the same time, it rankled, as I did not feel I deserved it. And this page concludes with Duke Bronte finally being summoned by the king. Four days in. Mm-hmm. Queen Ketcherkin was not invited to that council. Nope. And Fitz thinks that he was not the only one who noticed that. Fitz, of course, was also uninvited. But not many people would make note of that. But the fact that she was not and Fitz was not kind of relegates them to the same status right? and relegating the queen in waiting to the same status as a royal bastard is not a, uh, you know, flattering thing to happen. Yeah, exactly. She kind of keeps the daughters entertained a little bit, but less than an hour later, Duke Brondi storms back downstage or downstage down the, to the great hall and tells them to pack their things. And get ready to go, because obviously it has not gone well. Right. Well, it's been a very short meeting for something so important that has waited three days. Mm-hmm. So Exactly. Ketrickin seeing this haste and obviously knowing that he didn't get the answers that he wanted or anything that he wanted, invites him up to the Queen's Garden. Right. Well, he tells her, My queen, I excuse myself to depart, as House Farseer will offer no aid. Burns must now tend to its own. And that's when Ketrickin invites him out up for tea in the garden. (laughs) One more meal, yes. yes. (laughs) Which is a little bit odd to Fitz, because... It's a storm outside. Yeah, there's a horrible (laughs) storm. It's winter. Why would we all be going outside (laughs) right now? But... She doesn't give anybody any time to argue with her. She starts up the stairs and sends Rosemary and Fitz to the kitchen to grab tea and snacks, which Fitz takes over and tells Rosemary to go get warmer clothes for everybody. (laughs) Yes. So he goes off to grab the food, goes to the kitchen, 
Cook just quickly just gives him a tray like, hey, bring this up and I'll send somebody else with the rest. And he's right. kind of happy that she can still boss him around. And <laughs> <laughs> right. And also, I'm a little frustrated because for once, Rosemary wouldn't be around to see what's going on if she would have gone with Fitz. And Fitz kind of ruins it by sending her on an easier task that will get her there quicker. But Fitz doesn't know Rosemary's a double agent, so. Right. <laughs> Rosemary's already up there, snugly bundled, and she smiled smugly as she snitched a pastry from the edge of the tray. <laughs> Lady Modesty presided over serving the food. The Queen and Duke Brandy are sitting off to the side, standing off to the side on the tower discussing things. It is very loud because the storm is raging on and there's wind, and Fitz grabs warmed wine to bring over to them just on a pretext of joining them basically but also it's polite and courtesy to bring the uh the two highest ranking people there their right. refreshments exactly ketrickin kind of includes him into this conversation and asking duke brandy lord Fitzchivalry is known to you indeed i've had the pleasure of having him at my own table you would not mind then if i asked him to join us in our conversation I wonder if Ketrickin knew that Brondi would see her request as a veiled command. And I wanted to point that out because while I do think she was being completely herself and also kind of aware that she was welcoming Duke Brondi in with mm -hmm. all the honors that she could give, I don't think she knows that this would be a veiled command. No, I don't think so. She's not. I, I don't think she is fully aware of the stature of the royal family right. still. I think that one stems more from her version of royalty that she's grown up as yeah, her whole life definitely. rather than noticing a cultural difference. Like, mm -hmm. that's one of those subtle things that I think would take a really long time and people swelling it out for you. Exactly. For you exactly. to realize. And so that one I'm okay with, like, a comment of she probably didn't realize that's a thinly veiled command to mm -hmm. other people. But... I mean, before this, it was more like almost in intellect based. And it's like, come on, she's smarter than that. She, <laughs> she knows what she's doing. Duke Brandy accepts Fitz to join them. So Ketrickin sends him off to grab wine of his own <laughs> and come back to them. So in this meeting, the queen says, there's no undoing what has been done. I grieve that we were no, not able to protect our folk, yet I cannot undo what the raiders from the sea have done already. At least, perhaps, I can help to shelter them from storms to come. This I bid you take them for the queen's hand and heart. And what she gives Duke Brandy is a bracelet off of her own arm. It's made of gold, and it has the largest dark opal that Fitz has ever seen in his entire life. Which is apparently a very precious uh, gemstone here. Multiple. It's yes. a it's a like a full armband bracelet. It's mm -hmm. gold snaking up her arm with mountain opals on it. Right. Just one of them was like the biggest one he's ever seen, I yeah. remember. And I was like, Wow, okay. Where'd she hide that? Well, he uh, he specifically says with the dark opals of her mountains caught here and there in its web, I had never seen the dark flash of mountain opals before, but never ones of this size. So obviously oh, all, all of them, of them are, are massive. Big, yeah. Yeah. So it's a very expensive piece of jewelry. And it's a big show because it's on her. She's physically wearing mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And it's a little bit 
touching in a way because they're mountain opals. So this is probably something from home. Oh, definitely. This could be a family heirloom for all we know. And at the very least, it's probably something she looks at to comfort her and to remind her of her home. Even though her home isn't like big on showiness, they still appreciate good craftsmanship. Oh, yeah, definitely. And you would still take anything from your homeland and, you know, (laughs) just be looking at it lovingly. And she's giving it up to be sold to help her people. And I think this really underscores what being a sacrifice means and how the royals could be ruling. Instead, we get Regal, who sells off things that are not his, that mean wealth for others, not just himself. And that's just a very big contrast with Ketrikin, who is taking something from her own chest of drawers before she's taking from others. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think it's a really interesting contrast there in leadership style. <laughs> and this whole time on the, the tower, Verity's, his connection to Verity has grown a little bit stronger with Verity kind of getting his interest piqued by the secret conversation that Ketrickin is having with Duke Brondi. Mm-hmm. And so he's nudging Fitz to go over there eagerly and kind of paying a little bit more attention. And when she gives this gift to Duke Brondi. Fitz has this impulse in him. It says, I barely resisted Verity's impulse in me to fling himself on his knees at the feet of this woman and declare her far too royal for his insignificant love. Brondi was left stuttering his amazed thanks and vowing to her that not a penny of its worth would go to waste. Stout houses would rise once more in fairy, and the folk there would bless the queen for the warmth of them. Right. After this, I just do want to say that Verity does keep quiet about the heirloom that Verity grabbed, mm-hmm. made Fitz grab from his room, and stash away and store safely. Um, just because this is the Queen's gift. It's on the Queen's Tower. It's from Ketrikin herself. He doesn't want to give that other gift to Ketrikin to muddy the water and distract from Ketrikin giving this right. aid over to Duke Brondi. But also because Verity does want to see that on her eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, also, that this is a muddy thing because it seems more like Fitz is saying, I don't want to do this because I think it would take away from Ketrikin's moment. And I'm doing this for Verity to remember Ketrikin as the queen making a deal. So it feels almost more like Fitz's choice to not do this. He does deliberately think about them, though, with his connection with Verity being stronger right Right. now. He says, I thought of the emeralds hidden in a quarter of my closed chest, but within me, Verity was quiet. So it seems like he was trying to bring it to mind and like Mm -hmm. kind of inquire, but Verity just didn't respond. So Fitz kind of took that as like, okay. I'll just leave this alone. Plus, it'd probably be good for these reasons not to. Right. But yeah. And also, um, we forgot to say that Ketrickin did say, from your king in waiting, Verity and me. So she made sure to bring up Verity and say, this is like a gift from the soon to be king as well, even though he's not there, which I think is also important Mm -hmm. that she's not trying to make it seem like she's gaining favor. Right. And she's taking, you know, like trying to take over the kingdom or something. I don't know. So I just thought that was another really good. She obviously has clearly thought this through. And I don't know. I just think she's so smart for it. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and Fitz remarks on that, too, because this is the Queen's Tower, and she specifically says, from me, from my hand, these are the Mountain Kingdom, Mountain Kingdom opals, from Verity and me. And it's distancing from the official stance of the royal family that the king has given, and just as aid to Duke Bronte himself. So obviously he's going to keep that a secret mm-hmm. and just be thankful for it. Right. But not parade that around. And then conversation kind of turns to Fitz chivalry. Bronte addresses him first and through through Ketcherkin at least and says, My queen, you seem to hold this young man in considerable esteem to make him privy to your counsels. I do, Ketcherkin replied gravely. He has never betrayed my trust in him. Which I just want to take a moment to pause. Yikes, because <laughs> he has technically betrayed her trust in not telling her about her husband sitting in his skull every time they've me- uh, met yep. up for the past however many months. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and not deliberately betraying the trust, but also betraying her trust when he literally killed her brother. Also that, yeah. <laughs> kind of on an accident, but still. <laughs> Ronnie nodded as if confirming something to himself. He permitted himself a small smile. My youngest daughter, Celerity, was somewhat troubled by a missive from Lord Fitzchivalry, especially as her older sisters had opened it for her and found much there to tease her with. But when she brought her misgivings to me, I told her that it is rare for a a man who so candidly admits to what might be seen as shortcomings. Only a braggart would claim to go fearless into battle. Nor would I wish to give my trust to a man who could kill and not feel heart-lost afterward. As to your physical health, he clapped me suddenly on the shoulder, I would say a summer of pulling oars and wielding an axe has, has done you good. His hawk's eyes pierced mine. I have not changed my assessment of you, Fitzchivalry, nor has Celerity. I wish you to be sure of that. I said the words I knew I must. Thank you, sir. He turned to look over his shoulder. I followed his gaze through the blowing rain to where Celerity gazed at us. Her father gave her a tiny nod, and her smile broke like the sun from behind a cloud. Faith, watching her, said something, and Celerity turned blushing to give her sister a push. My guts turned to ice when Brondi told me, You may bid my daughter farewell if you wish. Oh, Fitz. If you remember that that letter that he sent to Celerity was filled with basically him opening up his heart. Mm Mm-hmm. It was a very and, on the most honest he's yeah. been to anyone, and and him thinking it was going to push her away. She's fourteen years old, mm-hmm. or f- maybe fifteen now. So it would have if Duke Brandy wasn't also a warrior who is also seen as slightly barbaric to wield an axe, right? And which not the gentleman probably did not know, <laughs> right? But also, like he's seen war, so he knows that someone who has killed someone and hasn't felt lost or battle shock before is lying yeah he knows that you know somebody who comes to a marriage or or courting somebody who just says like oh i'm perfect in every way is obviously lying or deceitful or trying to get somewhere right brondi is you know he's a duke he's been around this stuff before so right and it's inadvertently did what he needed to do yeah yeah (laughs) and also He's a duke in the furthest point of the duchy where the most raids happened before the war. Right. So it would be good to know that his future son-in-law is 
a whack an axe wielder mm-hmm. and also has no problem expressing himself to his future wife. I think the only thing that Duke Brandy was would have been concerned about was the health thing because mm-hmm. Fitz brought up his trembling was still there from his weakness and sickness right. in the Mountain Kingdom. And now that Brandy sees him, he's like, ah, this guy's That's fine. So bad, yeah. He spent a whole summer of rowing a boat, so he looks good. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Got those broad shoulders, you know? <laughs> I do wonder if, if Fitz is kind of called out here. Like, did Brandy realize what Fitz was trying to do? Or do you think he thought Fitz was doing a sort of like humble brag thing here where He's like, oh, I'm not that great, but if you still like me after that, that'd be cool. You know what I mean? I'm I'm just trying to feel out where Duke Brandy is at this, because he seems to genuinely like Fitz. I don't think he has any idea that Fitz could be that devious about anything, of trying to push somebody away, or why would why would he try to push Celerity away or right, make these things? Right. So I think Brandy's coming at this like, Fitz wrote exactly what was happening, and didn't mm-hmm. try to sugarcoat it. I like that in the guy. Interesting. Okay. I was just wondering, because it is a little strange that such a, I don't want to say weak, because that's not the word I'm looking for, but like a lovey-dovey soft note was received well. It's, it's, it's not I that mean, lovey-dovey soft, to be honest. It's, it's pretty not gruesome and like, yeah. but I <laughs> I'm just, kind of pitiful. Thank you so much for your interest in me. <laughs> <laughs> it just is such a weird... I don't know. Because Duke Brandy seems so hard and strong and like a man's man almost in my mind, but yeah, I find it very raising interesting. three daughters. Fair. Fair enough. <laughs> but it seems interesting that he is not put off by a man number one showing emotion but number two being honest <laughs> yeah and i don't know i just found that really nice i guess i don't know it could have gone poorly for it, fits it seems that the six duchies do have a big tradition of having emotional reactions to things mm-hmm. publicly and and not just you know, some cultures that I've read in fantasy books have more of an outcrying, but it's not the close-minded stoicism of a lot of things. Fair. Specifically of when somebody dies, you cut off lock of your hair off, you can cut off more than that. Right. You might be looked down upon if you shave your whole head like Beric does, <laughs> but things like that, the, the, the mass grave and service that they had for the forged ones, mm-hmm. they're not completely closed off and you have to be you know a a stone or a rock right so i feel like especially with all the raids that they have they do experience loss all the time right and i i would think even though i'm just being an armchair psychologist here uh i would think there's a temptation to become hard after that and just ignore the pain but Mm -hmm. duke brondi being around so long would know you're going to experience it no matter what, and it's not good to shut those things out. Right. So I feel like with all the loss that the Six Duchies lifestyle brings, right. with all the hardships that they have, they're a little bit more open to that. That's an interesting point. I didn't think about it that way. Um, but that does raise a question. Do you think the reason that the Six Duchies is able to be so open about emotions is because of their history with people of the wit living there? 
there's a higher level of people connected to literal emotions. That could definitely be. I mean, it might not be that we know there are people with the wit hiding. It's they're probably much fewer in numbers after, especially after what Regal does later. But before this, even it's not super great to be known as someone who is witted. Right. So I don't necessarily think it's something that people know comes from the days when witted people lived amongst them in in harmony. Uh, But I do wonder if that kind of comes from a magic that allows you to feel others pain. Definitely possible. Yeah. It makes sense to me. Yeah. So after that basic dismissal and kind of ordering Fitz to go <laughs> say goodbye to his daughter and mm-hmm. Fitz not wanting to ruin any progress Ketrickin has made, he goes over, excuses himself and talks to Lady Celerity. Mm-hmm. And it's very awkward. Oh, super awkward. (laughs) Well, awkward because she clearly has a huge crush on him and he clearly doesn't want to be there. Maybe not to her because he's a consummate actor and can do his job. We're in his head and we know how badly he does not want this. My heart was pounding, as was hers, I am sure, for a completely different reason. He really doesn't want to be there. He loves Molly. Like, he's, this is it. (laughs) I just have to act this out. Mm hmm. We don't have to pursue it further. Maybe I will run away with Molly. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) And she talks about his letter. She talks about how her father explained to her how it's actually a good thing what he he wrote her and how she didn't understand why he would belittle himself. And then his father had her father had the quote of, you know, only braggarts need to brag because no one else will brag about them. Then she also goes a little bit more in depth about how there's no better way to learn the sea than by the oar of a boat. And in her father's younger years, he also welded, uh, was an ax wielder. And he also has promised to her and her sisters that when times get better, they can have a boat of their own to go out on the water. So they're a boating family now, and because of Fitz's letter. I don't think just because of Fitz's letter, but <laughs> <laughs> no. But she she is kind of rambling. She's you know going point by point over everything, and we get a little bit more in depth of probably the big conversation that was had trying to convince Larry that she does still like Fitz, mm. which is also kind of interesting. Why wouldn't a father just let his daughter? I think not like. She, I think she's still did like him but was just like is this not like is he not a good person to like anymore okay and then yeah, went to her fair. father and her that's father's like fair. no he seems cool <laughs> <laughs> that's fair that's fair i was gonna say i mean honestly it's not the most advantageous marriage so it's not like he couldn't just drop fits and be like all right well you had your chance kid it doesn't uh, seem like burns has super close ties to the royal family though that's fair they're they're a duchy but they're extremely remote as Mm -hmm. a duchy they're the furthest away i think so having any sort of tie especially to probably a prince that they admired a king and wedding that they admired chivalry brings them a little bit closer and since they're not going to marry verity and they probably really don't like regal (laughs) fitz is there that's fair that's a good point it's still a recognized royal bastard. That's true. That's very true. 
still somebody of the Farseer line. Yeah. Get that lineage in there. Exactly. Hmm. And then a future Queen Desire can say, I'm more royal than yeah. you. <laughs> yes, they're children together. Um, <laughs> so she kind of falters and obviously feels a little self-conscious and says, am I chattering too much? Like, am I going on too much? And Fitz says, not at all, my lady. And then she's all like, oh, my lady. And she gets, turns bright red. And as if he had said something super scandalous and he turns away and sees her older sister and Shelly <laughs> laughing together at whatever he might have said, which makes him blush, which makes them laugh even more. And it's kind of a cute little scene of mm-hmm. just a bunch of teenagers that are awkward and they're put in this super awkward position. And just so reference, because we had, hadn't mentioned before, uh, Shells is one of the people that Ketrickin invited to the table in the Great Hall at dinner. Yes, because she she's around the same age as Faith and Celerity. Yes. And so after a while, they head down and change out of their clothes, and uh, they go to bid Duke Burns farewell. And Queen is in her familiar white and purple, your favorite outfit. Yep favorite color combo and she stood beside duke brondy's horse to bid him farewell and before he mounted he went down on one knee and kissed her hand some brief words were spoken i know not what but the queen smiled as the winds lashed her hair about her face brondy and his troops set off into the teeth of the storm there was yet anger in the set of brondy's shoulders but his obeisance to the queen showed me that as as of yet not all was lost Slarity and Faith both looked back at me as I rode off, and Slarity dared to lift a hand in farewell. I returned the gesture. I stood watching them go, chilled by more than the rain. I had supported Verity and Ketrickin this day, but at what cost to myself? What was I doing to Slarity? Was Molly, perhaps, right about all this? Like we've been saying the past few chapters, Fitz has been selfish thinking about this all about from his perspective Mm -hmm. however he is evolving slowly with some conversations and things like that and he does think here of what is he doing to slarity he is deliberately leading her on he's deliberately saying that he is interested without directly saying it right and setting this whole thing up when he doesn't reciprocate any of those feelings that she's returning towards him yeah this is just for political gain the first time we've seen Fitz think about Celerity as a person, as what he's doing to her, not just, oh, I have to get rid of Celerity and she's this problem. And I think the problem is, is that he saw her in person and saw exactly the kind of feelings he probably Mm -hmm. felt the feelings that she is having for him and realized this is a real person with real feelings. And I've only been thinking about my feelings (laughs) And the problem is that this isn't just any other teenage girl Mm -hmm. that if, you know, he let her on a little bit and then breaks her heart, it's just, oh, no, sad for us. This is a person, yeah, who has a lot of political power, who, if offended enough, could break away from the duchies and cause a big problem. Right. So it's becoming more and more real to him. And I'm glad he's seeing it. 
but also sad for everyone involved. <laughs> oh yeah, it's just it's a bad situation, and it really does drive it home because this is only the second time he's seen her in person. Right. First was a week that he spent up there to take care of Virago. <laughs> After that week, he left, and she sent a letter later. He replied, and then it was all summer before mm-hmm. she came and visited him in the winter again. Right. So yeah. it's been like over a year since they've seen each other last. <laughs> yeah. And now he's even hotter because he's like <laughs> big and buff. And so poor little Slarity is like, oh my gosh, I really hit the jackpot here. Like, <laughs> we don't hear any mention of acne. So like Fitz is a model over here. Like, come on. <laughs> poor Slarity. After the goodbye, we get into the second part of this chapter, which is Fitz going to see the king. He's not summoned. He's not, you know, called upon for this. It's just him going and Fitz wondering if Verity willed it in him or if it was his own heart cautioning him not to abandon the king. Wallace grudgingly admitted me, with a stern warning that the king was still not feeling completely himself, and that I must not weary him. King Shrewd was sitting up before his fireplace. The air of the room was cloying with smoke. Fool was at his feet, sitting down and avoiding most of the cloud of the smoke, but Fitz had it all in his head area and was not able to avoid any of it. So lots of drugs going on in here. And... He starts a conversation with Fitz. King turns to him and blearily looks at him for a few minutes as his head swayed on his neck. Ah, Fitz, the king greeted me belatedly. How have your lessons been? Is Master Fedrin pleased with your progress? I glanced at the fool who did not meet my eyes, but poked morosely at the fire. Yes, I said quietly. He has said my lettering is good. That's fine. A clear hand is a thing any man may be proud of. And what of our bargain? Have I kept my word to you? It was our old litany. Once more I considered the terms he had offered me. He would feed me, clothe me, and educate me, and in return he would have my complete loyalty. I smiled at the familiar words, but my throat closed at how the man who had said them had wasted away, and what they had come to cost me. Yes, my king, you have, I answered softly. So we see the king here as Fitz enters the room. And he is further gone than he has been. Mm -hmm. The meeting with Brondi and coming down to the dinner even three days before that, when Brondi had first arrived, must have really taxed him. Because remember at the the feast, right? He was there. he was not out of it and just looked tired. So the king was there and he excused himself, you know, as soon yeah. as he could. But all of that really must have taxed him greatly. And now he's just slowly losing his place in time and right. drugged up. Yeah, and it doesn't help the type of drugs he's on right now. I mean, basically he's high. So that wouldn't help with your sense of time or what's going on, really. A couple different Um, things to keep him out of it, honestly. Yeah. But it is sad to see. It does make me remember how I felt when uh, my great-grandfather was going through Alzheimer's when I was really young. 
just the feeling of what do I play along? Do I say something? Yeah. What you don't want to like hurt their feelings. And it's just like such a weird place to be in of like, I don't know how to react to this person who once was different. And now they are clearly not even knowing where they're at. Being a kid in that situation is incredibly hard and mm-hmm. difficult because of of that specifically. Right. And and for us, I had a I had a great um, great grandpa as well, who was very. He lived a long, long life. Uh, he was, I believe, like a hundred when he passed away. Mm-hmm. But in the last few years of his life, he also repeated things. He also asked like. You know, he he was confusing people and things like that. It wasn't Alzheimer's specifically, which is a terrible disease. Mm-hmm. But you would just, you know, repeat the same conversation that you had had previous times that you had met him. Mm-hmm. And that was fine. But it's confusing for a kid. Like, going into that, I'm just like, I don't know what yeah. to do in this situation. Right. And even older people in general sometimes will get to a place where without Alzheimer's they're asking questions that you've heard before. It's not as bad as when people are clearly sick, but you know, sometimes, I mean, humans in general, I have asked questions that I have definitely (laughs) asked Luke multiple times, (laughs) but it's just one of those things where you can tell the difference between, Oh, they probably just forgot. And Oh, they think, yep. Like this is what's this is a different time. Yeah. And yeah. it's just such a hard thing. So yeah, rereading this book and, and rereading these scenes with the king really, really brings to mind and, and really puts it in the forefront of me of how far the king has gone mentally in the past year and a half mm-hmm. in the book time. Yeah. It's uh it's really sad. Right. Because Fitz is reminiscing about it, but as we're rereading, we can literally look back at the scenes and see how sharp he was. Right. Not that long ago. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to tell if this is a physical sickness that he would have gone through no matter what, or if this is somehow sped up by the taking of his skill. Right. We don't really know. We'll never really get an insight to the thought process behind this. But it is just a very fast decline, and it is very sad. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really curious now if the taking of his skill is gradual, or if it's all on that, like, the last week or that last night where Fitz confronts them, because he has been sick for a long time, and, right. and we find out in this chapter it is kind of a physical sickness that he's hiding from with all these drugs and his pain and that shrewd skill isn't entirely gone it's just diminished because he doesn't use it ever right i don't know it's it's really it's kind of hard to tell the chronology of all it it is but it's also is it diminished because he doesn't use it or because this has been going on longer than just even what yeah the the coterie is doing how long has galen been taking from the king true yeah, this could have been really happened know. for decades for all we know. <laughs> Although I'm not sure how Galen would have found the ability to take from him earlier. Uh, yeah. Not, unclear. Not but really sure. we don't, there's no proof that he didn't. So I don't know. 
Shrewd kind of senses Verity's connection with Fitz here, and he reaches out here. Uh, Verity? Where's Verity? He's gone on a quest, my king, to seek the help of the Elderlings to drive the red ships from our shores. Ah, uh, yes, of course, of course he has. But just for a moment, I thought... He leaned back in his chair, then all the hair on my skin prickled up. I could feel him vaguely skilling in an unfocused, fumbling way. His mind tugged at mine like old hands seeking for a grip. I had believed him incapable of skilling any more. I had thought he had burned out his talent years ago. Verity had told me once that Shrewd used his talent, but seldom any more. I had set those words aside as his loyalty to his father, but the ghostly skill plucked at my thoughts like unschooled fingers at harp strings. I sensed Night Eyes hackling at this new invasion. Silence, I cautioned him. I do want to point out that this feels a lot like in the later books when Chade is having trouble staying yeah. in his own mind. Mm-hmm. He also reaches out with ghostly hands that seem unskilled. And I just think it's really interesting that as the mind starts to go, the skill seems to almost want to reach out. Like, it's a thing Touch of its own. familiar things. Yeah, it's very interesting. And it really made me remember when Chade also can't let go of Fitz and is reaching towards Fitz with the skill. The skill really seems to center, well, it seems to circle around who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And you get, it's stabilizes and solidified by saying like i am me this is who i am and and a big part of that sense of self is your connections to other people so i'm wondering with that weakening it's just reaching out to those familiar around him where like these were strong connections and like this can center me again or something it's really interesting i don't know i just the skill is such an interesting magic and i wish i knew more again for the millionth time (laughs) that i've said it i just oh i would love a magic book Explain the the properties to me, please, Robin Hobb. Fitz kind of gets an idea here and asks the king permission. And I don't think he gets a response, but he moves his stool closer and grabs the king's hand. And he says, it was like plunging myself into a rushing river. Ah, Verity, my boy, there you are. Just for a moment, I glimpsed Verity as King Shrewd still saw him, a chubby boy of eight or nine, more friendly than smart, not so tall as his big brother Chivalry, but a sound and likable prince, an excellent second son, not too ambitious, not too questioning. Then just as if I had stepped off a riverbank, I tumbled into a black, rushing roar of skill. It was disorienting to see suddenly through Shrewd's eyes. The edges of his vision were filmy with haze. For a moment, I glimpsed Verity forging wearily through snow. What's this? Fitz? Then I was whirled away, carried into the heart of King Shrewd's pain. Skilled deep inside him, beyond where the herbs and the smoke deadened him, I was scorched with the agony. It was a slow-growing pain along his spine and in his skull, a pushing, crowding thing that would not be ignored. His choices were to be consumed by the agony that would not let him think, or to deaden his body and mind with herbs and smokes to hide from it. But deep inside his fogged mind, a king still lived and raged at his confinement. The spirit was still there, battling the body that no longer obeyed him, and the pain that devoured the last years of his life. I swear I saw him, a young man perhaps a year or so older than myself, 
His hair had been as bushy and unruly as Verdi's. His eyes were wide and lively, and once, his face's only lines had been from a wide grin. This was who he still was in his soul, this young man trapped and desperate. He seized on me, asking wildly, Is there a way out? I felt myself sinking with his grip. <sighs> okay. So this description of Shrewd's pain and sickness was really interesting to me. I don't know if this is a real sickness or if this is something put on him by the coterie. I do want to point out that it does say that it was a pain in his skull pushing and crowding thing that would not be ignored, which feels like people in there. It was also along his spine, though. Yes. But the part of his skull, it really made me wonder, again, how much of this is skill mm -hmm. rot in him and how much is real. And I'm frustrated that we'll never know. Yeah. Because I want to know is this something they're putting on him? Is this what happens when somebody takes part of your soul? And it's just very interesting because we have a younger version of the king asking Fitz, is there a way out? Like he's actually trapped. Like part of his mind is truly trapped somewhere. Is that a skill cage that is around this king? What's going on? And it's, I don't know the answers to these questions, but... I'm sure it is mostly actual sickness, but it is an interesting question to be asked. I looked at this as mainly just a metaphor. Mm. Yes, there could be this image of himself, and because he's connected with Shrewd, with the skill, he sees Shrewd's image of himself and how he centers himself, and that was that young man, and th that young man is what is left of his mind that isn't full of pain, that isn't full of drugs, and it's just caught underneath the pain, which is underneath the drugs, and there's right. no way for him to express anything that he wants, and that's kind of the metaphor I was going with, but if it was a physical manifestation, that's also a really interesting way to think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a, it's a very beautifully written piece of inside information, mm -hmm. and really just the visceral reaction of this is what it looks like to be in that much pain. It's just a very interesting way to go about it. Very abstract. And I like it. Yeah. Also, I liked uh, Shrewd's description and the way he thinks about Verity, which yeah. gives us a little bit insight of that as well. More friendly than smart, not so tall as his big brother chivalry, a sound and likable prince and an excellent second son, not too ambitious, not too questioning. And that's what, kind of what we've been saying before, too, that yeah. Verity had grown up as the second son and he was great. But according to Shrewd here, he was always, you know, looking up to his big brother and his big brother was the one and he was mm -hmm. the number two. And that's just the way it always was to him. Right. It wasn't indoctrinated in him. It was just who he Verity, is. Yeah. Just Verity being a follower, mm -hmm. which is completely fine. I also kind of like the uh, the more friendly than smart. Yeah. <laughs> which is true in a general way but verity has had a lot of schooling and he is intelligent in his own right he's just right. not as maneuverable in the political sphere as some other people we have seen as chivalry. and as have we heard about yeah. chivalry yes 
or regal really yeah exactly so poor poor verity <laughs> and with fit sinking in there's a moment where verity kind of centers everyone he latches on to that connection before shrewd can take him under and steadies it and through fits is talking to his father king shrewd verity commands him boy contain yourself and then speaks directly to shrewd and we have a little conversation here he asks shrewd if he's in need because obviously shrewd has reached out and contacted verity there must be something that's terribly wrong right and shrewd kind of says no nothing's wrong all is as it has been for some time but verity Burns is no longer true to us. Brondy harbors red ships there in exchange for protection of, for his own villages. He has turned on us. Verity, obviously, if this is true, is extremely desperate situation because that means one of the duchies has, fall, has fallen, turned to the enemy, and is going to use you know, their land as a staging point for the rest of the invasion. There's, there's right. no saving this. Right. Because then they'll have homes, they'll have resources, they have a place to dock on land instead of sailing in the winter across. Mm -hmm. So Verity obviously wants to know if this is true. (laughs) And he wants to know where this information is coming from. Exactly. And Shrewd says that Regal brought them, that he has spies, and that they bring word to him and this is what they said. And that Regal's plan is to abandon Brondi to the Red Ship friends. And to hold them off from Buck. And then when they secure their borders by cutting off Brondi, eventually they'll turn on each other. And that's that's Regal's plan. So, obviously, Verity's like, is, is this really true? And Verity, or excuse me, and Trude is like, all of the spies confirm it. And also, I fear that we can't trust your foreign wife anymore. Brondi was here, and Regal marked how she dallied with him and made many excuses for private talk. He fears that she plots with our enemies to overthrow the throne. And at this point, Fitz is incredibly incensed and, and gets his thought to the forefront. And I think Verity hears it only. I don't mm-hmm. think really Shrewd does. And he kind of screams out, This is not so. The force of this denial went through me like a sword's point. For an instant, I was drowning again, lost, selfless, in the flood of skill passing through me. Verity sensed it, steadied me again. And he warns Shrewd that we can't really use fits like this. He doesn't have the strength for it, first of all, and he's not trained. And then begs Shrewd to trust his wife, to trust Ketrikin, because Verity knows that she is not false and will not betray the six duchies basically uh, tells him to set spies upon regal spies and just you know be careful talk with shade about everything and shrewd shrewd gets a little bit of his uh his actual attitude back uh-huh. and he's like what you're gonna tell me how to rule <laughs> <laughs> i know how to keep my throne boy uh-huh which interestingly enough this does feel a lot like a conversation that fits and shade would have this, yeah, this feels a little bit like. Yeah, I can see that. Verity and Shrewd have a very similar relationship to Fitz and Shade, and that the younger of the two is bringing up valid concerns, and the older is trying to harbor onto the more so power, Fitz and Shades in the in the later trilogies. Not yes, this, not well, a little bit in there. Oh, there's hints of it in 
these books where it's Fitz is bit. like, how come I have to do these things? And Shade is like, do you not trust me? <laughs> it's so, usually for the better. <laughs> right, right, it is. But, In this one, at least. Right. It is, but it is interesting to see the parallels of the relationship of father and son yeah. being shown that we also see later in Fitz's own life. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the connection cuts off. Someone has snatched Fitz's hand away from King Shrewd's. And the fool is there and kind of yelling at Wallace. And Wallace is yelling, like, what did you do to the king? And uh, there's a whole thing because both of them are heaving with breaths. They're gasping for air. Like, they just ran a full marathon. Mm -hmm. Fitz is, like, woozy and lightheaded. And the fool is saying, it's both of them, not just the king. Like, I think you're killing them with your smokes. This is your fault. And in a very clever way, puts it on Wallace. Honestly, it's true as far as he knows. Right. Later Later we learn, I think this might be a little bit of next chapter... Um, maybe this chapter still, like, they all blend together a little bit. The Fool says something like it was only a couple heartbeats. Yes, that's this chapter. This chapter? Okay. So, all that he knows is that Fitz got up, sat next to the king, touched his hand, and a couple moments later, both of them were gasping for air. Right. And clearly in pain. <laughs> yes. There's a sharp edge of fear to the fool's voice. It's both of them. They were talking together, quite calmly, and then suddenly this. Take the damn smoke sensors away. I fear you have killed them both. Silence, fool. Do not accuse my healing of this. But I heard the hurry in Wallace's step as he made the rounds of the room, pinching out the burning twists in each sensor or capping them with brass cups. And Fitz kind of sits there to regain his senses, and Regal comes in, kind of rushing in, and I'm sure... Wallace warned him or told him about it, or he was coming eventually anyways because... He knew Fitz was there to begin with. He knew Fitz was in the room, yeah. And so Regal asks him, like, what had happened, demands what to know, and, and Fitz can't really answer. He just shakes his head, and then Regal turns to Wallace and immediately asks about the king. Wallace says, he seems to be steadying Prince Regal. I do not know what overcame him. There was no sign of a struggle but he is as weary as if he had run a race. His health will not stand this sort of excitement, my prince. Of course, again, Regal turns to Fitz and is like, what did you do to him? Fitz is very truthful here. He's like, I didn't do anything. We were talking quietly. Suddenly I felt overwhelmed, dizzy, weak, as if I were losing consciousness. I turned my gaze to Wallace. Could it have been the smoke? Wallace kind of rambles here and he gives away a little bit of what the king has been feeling and real does not like it wallace says perhaps it could have been the smoke well it seems every day i must make it stronger for it to have any effect at all and still he complains that silence regal cut him off with a roar he gestured at me as if i were awful get him out of here then get back here to tend the king King reach out, reaches out to Fitz again with his uh-huh. skill, and Fitz is like, okay, I gotta leave. Like, yeah. I can't go through that again. And the fool escorts him out. Yeah. It, this is a scary reaction to what's happening, and, and I'm sure, I don't specifically remember what 
the king has to say to Fitz about this later on or if they even talk about it directly but I'm sure he's reaching out again because that was the first time he's had to have a conversation without feeling pain and being fully aware of his thoughts right because it's directly connected to his mind to his son mm-hmm. and he's able to like hold a conversation so it's an yeah. escape that was like yeah. the escape that he was looking for that's what he needs and oh it's really sad and it's hard because Fitz cannot help him this way. It is not healthy for probably either of them, but mostly Fitz. He can't even walk out on his own. He needs the fool there to to lean on, to escort him down to his room. He's lucky that they didn't take more. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The fool doesn't leave him because it's not safe for him to be alone and this week, which is... True true and probably also a little bit of the fool like i don't want to put them have them put a bag on your head either right yeah also the fool wants answers (laughs) yeah he wants to know what the heck that just was yes i told you i'm all right i said with some annoyance all i wanted to do was lie down are you and how was my king what did you do to him back there i did nothing i gritted out as i sat down on the foot of my bed my head was beginning to pound elf bark tea that was what i needed just now I had none. So the fool obviously saw something. He saw Fitz ask permission to the king, went over and touched them, and then all of a sudden they were gasping. Mm -hmm. So he kind of knows Fitz did something, but it happened so quick that they have no idea really what happened. Right. And Fitz is just kind of begging him, like, please, can you get some elf bark tea? Like, for me. Right. And he gets the fool to stop asking about it by saying, yeah. it is not for me to tell you what the king did to me. If he wants to tell you, he will. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And he gets the fool to agree to a bargain, basically. He'll he'll leave him alone right now. He'll grab elf bark tea from Lacey, get some, get some of that, and then Fitz will, will tell him, you know, what had happened as much as he could (laughs) right well at this point who cares if the fool understands what skilling is why not just say we were skilling because clearly the fool knows about chade so he knows everything why not just let him in on this too right i don't know it doesn't i mean if it doesn't thinking super clearly right now he's obviously in a lot of pain definitely not. but it feels like a weird thing to be this sensitive about telling the fool Mm -hmm. when the fool knows everything anyway Right. So Fitz tries to sort these things out in his head through his extreme headache right now. The things that he just learned, that Regal had spies or claimed to, that Brondi was a traitor, and that Regal was claiming that his spies told him that Brondi was a traitor. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fitz himself suspected that Brondi was as much as a traitor as Ketrickin was. (laughs) Yeah. It, I, very clever. Very clever, Regal. That is a really great way yeah. to get rid of people you don't want. Just accuse them of being against the crown. Yeah. And Ketrickin isn't necessarily the most popular, especially not with the people he's bringing in. So, yeah, it'd probably be pretty easy to put in some doubt and say, she was awful nice to Brondi and he's definitely a traitor. So what does that say about her? I don't know. I don't think he came up with this idea on his own, but if he did, bravo. Yeah. Great villain's plan. 
And he would have gotten away with it, too. (laughs) Fitz, as he's thinking about these, turns his mind to what he was actually feeling inside of Fitz's, or inside of Shrewd's head, excuse me. And he just is thinking about the pain. Had not Jade bid me simply to observe as I had been taught to find an answer to my question? And that question was, why was Jade feeding him all those poisons? Or why was Shrewd accepting that? Mm Mm-hmm. It had been plain before me all the time, if only I had not been so blinded with fears of traitors and plots and poisons. A disease was eating King Shrewd, gnawing him away from the inside. He drugged himself against the pain, in an effort to have some corner of his mind to himself, a place where the pain could not come and rob him. If someone had told me that a few hours ago, I would have scoffed. Now, lying on my bed, trying to breathe softly because the slightest movement triggered another wave of agony, I could understand. Pain. I'd only been enduring this for a few minutes, and I'd already sent the fool running for Elfbark. Another consideration pushed itself into my mind. I expected this pain to pass, that by tomorrow I would rise up free from it. What if I had to face it every moment for the rest of my life, with the certainty that it was devouring whatever hours were left to me? No wonder Shrewd kept himself drugged. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, that's just added on to the look that we already got inside of him, and that's a very succinct way to put it. There is something that is killing Shrewd and keeping him in extreme agony that floored fits a healthy 17-year-old boy mm-hmm. with pain. And Trude is trying to keep a corner of his mind free from that so he can maybe think in some lucid hours. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely eye-opening for Fitz. I think also the reader. Yeah. But I do want to ask a quick question. Do we think some of this pain is coming from his head wound that causes him a massive headache whenever he uses the skill? It definitely could be. I mean, I feel like some of the headache is, but also Fitz seems to be feeling pain throughout his whole body right, right now. So I think the some of the headache might be from that, but it, it's hard to tell where that blends in, where it stops, and yeah. you know, <laughs> especially yeah. for Fitz as he's just trying to breathe as shallow, shallowly as possible because breathing heavily hurts. Hurts. Oh, I've been there. That. Oh, yuck. <laughs> I hate that when you're just. Like, full body aches and pains. I can't imagine that times 10. Like Yeah, I've, I've, never, I've never experienced a broken rib, but I've heard people with broken ribs say that since you can't really put it in a cast and you have to breathe, mm-hmm. it is extremely painful <laughs> to take deep breaths, to cough, to sneeze, to any, do any of that. So they just try to spend their whole time breathing shallowly and yeah. not doing anything. <laughs> Ooh, yuck. And so Fitz is laying down in his bed. Eyes are closed. He hears the door open and close quietly. When I did not hear the fool begin to make tea, I forced my eyes open. Justin and Serene stood inside the doors of my room. They stood frozen, as if in the lair of a savage beast. When I shifted my head slightly to look at them, Serene's lips actually drew back as if she snarled. Within me, Night Eyes snarled back. The tempo of my heart increased suddenly. Danger here. I didn't hear you knock, I managed to say. Each word was edged in red as my voice echoed in my skull. So we get the entry of 
the villains. Yeah. <laughs> More villains. Serene, of course, is very uh, nasty to Fitz, as all of the coterie is just saying, I didn't knock, don't really like need to knock kind of attitude. <laughs> Fitz mm-hmm. is praying for the fool to come back to interrupt this because he can't deal with anything right now, really. Right. He's hoping that he looks nonchalant. He's hoping it looks like he's he fears them so little that he's just hanging out on his bed waiting for them to leave mm-hmm. and not that they can tell how weak he actually is because he cannot stand on his own. There's no way he can fight. And they say that they don't need anything. And then Justin starts to skill towards Fitz's mind and is clawing through his brain. And my thought, which I think is correct, is that they were drawn or told to come here because they felt that connection, that whole skill conversation. There was something going mm-hmm. on. Shrewd was talking to somebody through Fitz, so Fitz might have that connection to the pretender Verity. Right. Right, and they're trying to find the link. Yep, exactly. But interestingly enough, while Justin is pushing through his mind, Verity says he'll kill you with his clumsiness because he doesn't know what he's doing. And I wonder how they can be so horribly trained and yet take Shrewd's skill away without being noticed. Is that the only thing they're highly skilled at? Shrewd is very drugged up and no one else can do the skill there. (laughs) I guess, but I mean, even before he was drugged up, they were doing it or as drugged up as he is now. He didn't notice at all. I feel like I feel like the things that they do and they do well, they were trained for specifically. These other things they weren't trained to do. Why would they be? Galen trained them for a specific purpose, and that was to carry messages, to look through each other's eyes, to communicate with one another, and probably to drain skill. That's and true. the things that, you know, are require a little bit more finesse just aren't there because they didn't have an actual skill master teaching them. I guess, yeah. Remember, Galen didn't finish his training. That's true. He was barely powerful enough to even be called a journeyman. And also, it's been noted multiple times that all of his students are weak and not well taught at all anyway. And they they could have been stronger. Yeah. But the way that he trained them just left him weaker than they should have been. Yes. And that's where Fitz describes this. Skill nudged me clumsily, just in prodding at me. My king's use of me had left my mind as raw as a bleeding wound. Justin's awkward skilling was like having cat's claws rake my brain. Shield yourself, Verity, was a whisper. Serene was smiling. And he describes it as Justin was pushing into my mind like a hand shoving into a pudding. My senses jumbled suddenly. He smelled foul in my head. He was a terrible, rotting, rotten greenish yellow and sounded like spurs jingling. Shield, Verity pleaded. He sounded desperate, weak, and I knew he was trying very hard to hold the tattered pieces of myself together for me. He's going to kill you with sheer stupidity. He doesn't even know what he's doing. Help me. From Verity, nothing. Our link was fading like perfume in the wind as my strength dwindled. We are pack. Justin slammed back against the door of my room, so hard his head bounced. It was more than repelling. I had no words for what Night Eyes did from within Justin's own mind. It was a hybrid magic. Night Eyes using the wit through a bridge of the skill had created. 
He attacked Justin's body from within Justin's mind. Which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, also super scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, everybody's freaked out, including, I think, Fitz himself. I mean, he's yeah. off also trying just to survive. He kind of gets a visual image of Night Eyes going crazy and, like, going with jaws and scratching and everything like that. Because he can, he has that connection with Night Eyes as yes. well. And finally gets through to him to say, like, don't kill, don't kill him, don't kill him. Yeah. <laughs> and Night Eyes kind of calms down. But there's visible scratches and punctures not blood, but like vis- visible claw welts. marks and yeah. welts and things on Justin's that skin. That are disappearing. That eventually, yeah, disappear. Which is wild. Mm-hmm, How do you do that? <laughs> I feel like it's, since since the brain has a pain center in it, uh-huh. if you trigger that in certain points, like, you'd be able to simulate pain in certain ways right. and i feel like it's similar for sure from like a real world to a fantasy world it's a similar concept of night eyes just raking through justin's brain basically yeah and yeah but my big question is how is this magic attack explain to me the magic logic <laughs> behind his attacks showing but disappearing quickly is it because he's not physically harming him? It's all in his mind. It's still painful, clearly. Right. Also, Justin wets himself out of fear of this incident. So, like, something's happening. But what, could he have actually killed him? I think so. I don't know. It's just wild. I think he could have. That's fair. But it's really interesting to see the depth of this hybrid magic. Yeah. Yeah. Using the skill as a connection to different minds and then having a wit link attack the emotions and the feelings of somebody else. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't know. The implications of it could stretch forever, but it never gets investigated because Fitz is pretty unique. Right. Well, this feels a lot like bloodbending in Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm, where yeah. Forbidden technique. It's too yes, dangerous. Yeah, where it's not morally right, and so you shouldn't do it. And it's like more people are probably out there with the capability, but they don't even know it, because yeah. who else is out there getting attacked by the skill with their wit partner mm-hmm. while they're you also have in a to weakened be skilled. state? Yeah, you also have to be skilled. Which is clearly not impossible for witted people to be. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. Also, clearly you can have more than one type of magic in you because we know that Chade can scry, that he can see the future in water. Or, and, the, or the present. We don't really. Yeah. We're not really unclear. clear. Yeah. <laughs> but he has some sort of magic in that realm, but also has the skill. I don't know if that's as close of a link, so I don't know if there's much more you could do with that, you know, Mm -hmm. the same way you can with a wit. I wonder if the further away they are in the circle, the less they have an inner connector. Right. But now I'm very curious (laughs) what all is going on there and what what are the possibilities? And so when Night Eyes hears Fitz saying, don't kill, don't kill me, like, don't kill him, Fitz gets this image of him that he came and stood astraddle me, guarding me. Almost I could hear his panting breath, feel the warmth of his hide. I had no energy to question what had happened. I curled myself into a puppy, sheltered beneath him. I knew no one could get through Night Eye's defense of me. And Serene, obviously, is 
hysterical at this point. Like, what was that? Like, what was that? What happened? Yeah. And she had Justin by the shirt front and had dragged him to his feet. There were livid marks on his throat and chest, but through barely opened eyes, I could see them fading rapidly. Soon there was no sign of Night Eye's attack, save the wet stain spreading down the front of Justin's trousers. And Serena's like shaking him, and Justin, open your eyes, Justin, basically what happened. And the fool wonderfully steps in at that moment and says, what are you doing to that man? (laughs) Expressing outrage and surprise. He puts on the performance because a maid is passing at that moment, arms full of shirts. She looked in, startled, and then stopped to stare. And there's a little page girl carrying a basket behind her that looked as well. So the fool gets into this and says, what's the meaning of this? And Serene accuses Fitz of attacking Justin while she's sobbing. Because obviously this is a horrifying thing to experience. You're standing there. You think you are all powerful. You're digging through a mind of an enemy. And all of a sudden your partner is getting huge claw rent marks across their face and jaw marks and stuff they're flung backwards head hitting the door Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they're like almost completely out of it and all the marks are gone like what (laughs) what happened right yeah no it's a crazy thing and also would make you a little worried like maybe we shouldn't be messing with him right and he it would probably be a little bit of a brain breaker because they've been basically indoctrinated to think that Fitz's useless and has no strength and he is not very powerful yeah and here Fitz is on his basically deathbed defending himself against you who you think are all powerful it would be really hard to understand on a like philosophical level yeah i don't know and they use it further on it's like oh you're just grabbing your strength from something else obviously that wasn't you who attacked us right right it can't possibly be fits they lied to themselves again and again which to be fair it isn't fits (laughs) yeah true true and so serene is saying like oh yeah fits attacked him and the fool is pointing out the obvious to any passerby that no you're the only one who is shaking that boy obviously you did something to him this man is on his deathbed he couldn't have done anything And, oh, by the way, you serving little girls, don't gossip about this. No one should hear about this. Wink, wink. Yeah. (laughs) Fool asks him, like, answer me truthfully. Was she really trying to force herself on you because it's the fool and he was twisting the words around? And Fitz answers, no, my voice came out like I was sick. Like I felt sick, exhausted, and groggy. I was sleeping. They came quietly into my room. Then... I think I have had too much smoke this night. And I agree. There was a fine disdain in the fool's voice. Such an unseemly show of lust I have seldom seen. The fool spun suddenly on the peeping page and maid. This shames all of Buckkeep to find our own skilled ones behaving so. I charge you to speak of this to no one. Let no one gossip about this begin. Or let no gossip about this begin. He turned back suddenly on Serene and Justin. Serene's face was flooded scarlet, her mouth open in outrage. Justin pulled himself to a sitting position at her feet and sat, swaying. He clutched at her skirts like a toddler trying to stand. I do not lust after this man, she said coldly and clearly, nor did I attack him. So she is super embarrassed and does not want anyone thinking 
Mm-hmm. She would ever have lustful thoughts. And she's going back to angry instead of just hysterical and, and upset and scared about what happened. So mm-hmm. threatens Fitz and then storms off with Justin in tow. Fitz kind of gets in the, the last word. She, she spins around and says, I will get to the bottom of this. And he says, but in your own chambers, please. Mm-hmm. I've managed to lift a hand and point at the open door. <laughs> He watches the fool walk away with the tea and is extremely upset because he's still in a ton of pain. Serene is gone. Justin is in tow with her. And Fitz doesn't even try to return to his bed after he closes the door. He just slides down the wall to sit with the back to the door. He felt raw. My brother, are you dying? No, but it hurts. Rest. I will stand watch. I cannot explain what happened next. I let go of something, something I had clutched all my life without being aware of gripping it. I sank down into soft, warm darkness, into a safe place, while a wolf kept watched through my eyes. What do you think the thing is that he let go of? I think it's his humanity. I think he... I think this is the first thing that they kind of bring back when Fitz goes into Night Eyes' body, or they try to coax him into Night Eyes' body when he's dying. I think this is the first time that he actually, like, lets go of that barrier of, like, we have to stay separate, there's, you know, I am me kind of thing. It's Fitz letting go of all of himself and just interesting letting go, you know? Sure. My thought was it was more of his need to constantly be aware that he is going to die in some capacity. Like, he's always been aware that he needs to be watchful and know what's going on around his surroundings. And for once, he is trusting somebody fully to protect him and not worrying about anybody coming to attack him. Oh, interesting. I took the all my life more literally than just kind of like a figurative of when he was aware. That's fair. But I mean, all of his life basically starts when he's at Bucky. Well, not Bucky, but when he is Fitz the bastard because he doesn't remember his beginning times. And I don't know. It makes me feel like even then he knew something was wrong. And that he needed to be careful. Let us know what you guys think. Uh, what he let go of. What he sank into. Whether that's even a good thing for Fitz to do. Yeah. Email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com or message us on any of our social medias, isfitshappy at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This was a this was a very interesting chapter. Yes. A little bit shorter than last one. <laughs> Only a tad. Only a slight bit, yes. But it also escalates things quite dramatically in continuance with last chapter. Last chapter kind of started everything off. And this, we get the whole more added to the Beastman rumors that come about later. And Fitz getting connected with the Wit because right. of his attack on Justin. We get Fitz and Shrewd's skill connection here which eventually leads to shrewd's death Mm -hmm. and 
a reintroduction of Serene and Justin, who are the one who kill Shrewd later. Right. Which also should be a red flag that something is going on, because how... Why did they even come? Right. Why are they here? What's going on that we don't know? Exactly. Clearly, we all know. But but as first-time readers, it's something that's really easy to overlook. As like, wait, why did they show up? And I guess it's easy to think, maybe Regal sent them, but for what reason? Regal doesn't know anything about the skill. Right, yeah. They have to be keeping a close watch over that and over the king seeing any communication, that sort of stuff. Right. Well, thank you so much for listening in this week, this episode. We look forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Yeah. So now it's my favorite part of the podcast talking about what you guys brought up to us i don't like talking to me huh (laughs) you're fine i guess but (laughs) but i know everything you're gonna say i don't know what all our internet friends will say i guess i guess (laughs) so this week i first want to start out by shouting out little red 207 on instagram for giving us the idea to add highlights to our of our instagram story to instagram uh so now you guys can all see all of the honorable memeshins <laughs> that i make every <laughs> week forever and i also realized how many memes i've been making every week <laughs> which yeah. is a little bit wild every week she'll come over to my my desk as i'm editing and show me like a list of pictures like i i don't know if i've made enough this week and <laughs> That number has been going up and up like every single week. Yeah. So, <laughs> Well, I don't know. It just feels if we're going to have an extra section for it, there should be enough to show, you know. Um, but no, it's a really fun thing for me to do. And so I am surprised we didn't think about it before. So thank you, Little Red, for reminding us that we have the option to let everyone see all of the past memes yeah, uh, and enjoy them if they would so choose. <laughs> and we're just as a reminder, we're also always taking submissions. If you have a meme about the general story, about general characters, or specifically, as Emma usually does, focusing on the last episode or the last chapter. Right. We're accepting all memes. <laughs> all meme always. <laughs> We're going to move on to Facebook now, where I want to shout out to Irene again. (laughs) Irene always has really interesting inputs. And so I want to bring up that they, number one, reiterated something that we heard last week from some of you guys that Regal is getting away with this because the people have been indoctrinated into Mm this mindset of regal being the good prince yeah and specifically believing him because he is the present farseer he is the more visible one because the people of the six duchies are not educated they usually can't really read they're just there to accept the rule from the farseers because the farseers have a mystical ability they are named Mm -hmm. after specific traits they rule by mysticism as irene puts it yes so with verity being out of the public perception 
Regal was there to step in and direct all of that, you know, all of that, all of the public's perception and all of the public's knowledge and yes. view of the things towards his side. Right. Right. And they don't know all the intricacies and little things that are going on. Fitz knows so much and notices so much because he is a spy as much as we harp on him for not doing his job well. He does still know more about the palace intrigue than most other people do, even if they're really good at gossiping. So yeah. it's good to be reminded of that. They also talked about how it's amazing how Robin Hobb writes these characters with so many real qualities that we all feel like there are acquaintances that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which is true. It's yeah. true. She's a great character writer, and that's mainly what these stories are about. It's about the characters and the development and the relationships between them. Right. And it's funny how your opinions of those characters can change on read-throughs, on just different points of your life probably yeah, exactly. affecting how you're reading those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and Irene brought this up as a funny thing that they actually didn't like The Fool the first read-through and thought until book three of this series that it was just a useless, Fool is just a useless person. And somehow <laughs> annoying. And, uh-huh, you know. Very annoying, which is very fair. I was always intrigued by The Fool personally just because... He's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're like enamored with just reading through Fitz's eyes, the mm-hmm. fool is super annoying. Oh, for <laughs> he just sure. comes in and makes fun of Fitz and then walks away like he's so smart. <laughs> right. Which I think I enjoy because that's what I wish I could do to Fitz, but <laughs> <laughs> But on just... subsequent read throughs, Irene's like, now, you know, I appreciate every little scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I totally forgot that they beat him and destroyed his room so i was really mad when that happened which is true it is um it's a heartbreaking scene when you find out that like oh this mystical mysterious little dancing cartwheeling creature is actually like a person that is affected by the things that are going wrong in this story yeah no and it's really crazy how often something will come up in the book that I don't remember happening, and it feels like a pretty big event. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, there's 16 books, yeah. so I mean, it's fair that once in a while an event or two slips past. But mm-hmm. it is fun to reread and think about the butterfly effect of all these events. Also, we would like to thank Ellen for commenting. This one is on a little bit older of a chapter. And this is about Verity and Fitz's relationship back in chapter three of this book, Mm -hmm. where we were talking about how it's such a weird thing that Verity goes between being friendly to being the reprimanding Fitz. Yes. Yes. And their theory is that it's a little bit of Verity using Fitz as a stand in for his brother. And whenever he goes back to the reprimanding, it's, to remind them both that he's the older one now. And it's some of the sting is from remembering the loss of the brother and really feeling that harder. And I thought that was a really interesting take. And I hadn't thought about it like that of Verity forgetting the line because he's thinking of his brother. And I mean, they look pretty much exactly alike. Yeah. Yeah. That thinking about that always reminds me of, uh, the the scene in Harry Potter, the fifth one, where Sirius is, well, Harry goes to 
the Ministry of Magic to save Sirius, but Sirius was never in danger, and Sirius comes to save him, and he calls him James by his father's name. Mm-hmm. So, and it just reminds me of that, like, that loss does instill in you, and people who look similar, sometimes you might, you know, impart some of the, your feelings towards that person, towards that different person. <laughs> yeah. No. As someone who is a carbon copy of my mother, it is a very strange feeling to have strangers basically that are family members just people you don't get to see very often come up and just say oh you look just like your mom and you're a little carbon copy and you know like talk about your mom to you or to me I suppose and act as though I am the same person in any way and it's a very strange feeling that I have personally gone through so (laughs) it is weird how people impart the feelings that they have towards one person to another yeah so that could definitely be happening yeah the last thing that we have for facebook is a wonderful message that we got from daphne and they just wanted to comment again that when fitz is calling out uh mir when he was sick it's actually mother in french uh, thank you again for pointing that out. Yes. As Emma and I, in the past, were just kind of speculating on like, whoa, what, what the, could that be? Is it his actual mother's name? And <laughs> right. all this one is just like straight up translation of mother. <laughs> right. Well, it is good to remember that Mir kind of looks the way it's written, like come here. Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know what that's called, but uh, like a contraction of the word, like a Southern way of spelling <laughs> come here, um, which is another thing that could like definitely make it confusing for someone who only speaks English reading the English version. Uh, But it is good to hear from our French listeners to let us know that we just are uncultured and need to (laughs) think of other languages first. (laughs) So thank you. And And also loved the regal hate that was sent our way. We always appreciate. (laughs) So thank you guys again for reaching out. We get lots of joy from hearing from you guys and just hearing what you guys think of situations. It's really fun to have this kind of big collective book club. And every week I look forward to the things that we missed or messed up because you guys usually catch it and it's really fun. So thank you guys for uh, joining us on this journey. 